I'm Stacy. I love chatting about how to find our callings, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in a coffee shop. You can connect with me on social media at Stacy Summerow and subscribe to StacySummerow.com for a free discernment packet called How to Make the Right Choice. God's adventure awaits, my friend, and I am thrilled you're on the journey with me. How are you? I hope you're doing great. I hope you're coming out of quarantine. Hope you're just finding peace and calm in these crazy, crazy days. Um, I just can't keep this in any longer. So I'm just going to tell you, I have been planning a new summit. It's going to be an online virtual summit like the Be Not Afraid conference, except this one is focused on discernment. This has been my thing, obviously. This is why I started a podcast. I started to realize there's a lot of gaps in our popular understanding of how to hear God's voice, how to understand His calls, how to discern our vocations. And so this summit is going to be called God's Adventure Awaits, which has been my tagline for quite some time now. So it just seemed right and just to make it the title of this summit. We are working like busy bees, my team and I. I have a couple interns helping me, and we are just putting together an incredible free weekend event and it's going to be July 31st through August 2nd. So make sure that you're signed up at stacysummerow.com. Subscribe there. You can click on the link in the show notes to get to my website. Make sure you're subscribed because if you are, you are going to be the first to know about this summit when you can register. And I'm just going to drop just a couple of names of presenters. Okay, so you can't register yet. I'm sorry. We're still working on the registration page, but we do have over 25 incredible speakers lined up. Actually, I think it's more like 30 now. We have um, Jason Everett, Sister Bethany Madonna. She is the vocations director for the Sisters of Life. We have Jackie and Bobby Angel. We have Father Timothy Gallagher, which is amazing because he has written so many books on discernment, the Ignatian spirituality Um, And he is amazing. So he's actually going to be giving two talks. So I just, I won't announce any more right now, but those are just the the first little names going out there for you. I cannot tell you how amazing this is going to be. Not only are we going to have incredible presentations, but this one is going to be different than other online conferences because this summit is going to have a component, which is like a virtual exhibit hall. And what that means is it's going to be mission organizations that do mission trips and volunteer work, as well as religious communities. So brothers and sisters and priests who are all going to be together in this one space, you can go check them out. And this is a response to the many, 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 many people that have reached out and said, hey, I think maybe I'm called to discern religious life, or I I might be called to do a mission trip or a service of some kind, but I don't know where to begin. I'm overwhelmed. How do you recommend getting started? And I believe that the Holy Spirit put this idea in my head to solve that issue. I know that a lot of us young people are low on money. We're low on time. We're overwhelmed. You know, Google isn't necessarily your friend when it comes to finding religious organizations, because sometimes it's really tough to do that. So we're going to just put them all in one place. And not only can you browse, You can also filter them according to your interest. So if you know that you want to be a teacher, you can look and see what teaching orders are present. Um, And if you want to look at, you know, international mission trips, you can go check that out. And so you can filter them or browse the whole catalog. And then you can hop into a Zoom call with members of the community or organization. So this is not just 
telling you about this summit, but I'm also letting you know if you know any mission organizations or religious brothers and sisters who would like to be a part of this exhibit hall, we're just hoping this is going to make discerning your next move easier, more effective, connect you all quickly together. It's just going to be, you know, just cut out so many of the middle steps and um, it's going to be free. It's going to be a free event. So um, if you would like to get registered, just stay on my email list. If you want to recommend to me um, or if you want to recommend to religious brothers and sisters that you know, uh, we do have to charge a nominal fee for the exhibit hall because it's a lot of work for my team and myself to set up, but it's going to save you thousands of dollars from what you would typically pay for um, an exhibit booth at a physical uh, exhibit hall. So we're so excited about this. I'm so excited to share it with you. And I, I'm just couldn't hold it in any longer. So here's the announcement. So that's going to be once again, the end of July into the beginning of August, and it's going to be um, a lead in for a discernment course that I'm writing. So I've never seen a course on discerning life choices. This isn't just vocation, it is going to be for discerning any choice. The course is called True North, as in set your compass true north. Um, you might be able to hear my little daughter crying in the background. I have to go get her up from her nap. But anyhow, just had to let you know about that. Um, and that True North Discernment course is going to kick off in September. So you can get signed up during the summit weekend for an incredible discount. But we're running the test group on that. It's going great. I've had the discernment course read by a Christendom College theology professor, as well as a vocations director and a psychologist, and some other very knowledgeable people so that um, we just want to make sure it's all theologically correct. I'll sound the best it possibly can be for you guys. And so that is going to be open for registration as well as the summit starting in about early July. So lots of good things coming down the pike. Pray for me as I work on these enormous projects. Okay, I want to get to our episode today pretty soon because it is so beautiful and so good. But I also do really quick want to tell you about my Patreon community. If this is your first episode listening, or if this is your 43rd episode listening, um, and you have not yet checked out the Patreon community, I want to just encourage you for just $5, starting at $5 a month, you can join a vibrant and growing community online. We have monthly video chats, which is amazing. The, these people in this community are incredible. I also host a secondary podcast called Coffee Sips, which is a Catholic faith and lifestyle show, extra support for your journey. And I also send you fun challenges and things that you're not going to find anywhere else in that Patreon community. All of that, just $5 a month. So come on over, check it out. Patreon.com slash called and caffeinated. Awesome. I just want to tell you a little bit about Ever and Soren Johnson. They are my guests today. They have founded the most beautiful cafe that I've ever been to in my life in Leesburg, Virginia. It's about 40 minutes from where I live, so I can't go there very often. But if you're in the area, you should definitely go check it out. It is a Catholic coffee shop. So how much more perfect could you be for being a guest on this podcast? Ever and Soren, not only are they running a coffee shop, they have a deep theological grounding about the family imaging the Trinity and our culture imaging the Trinity. It is so beautiful. We talk about that and not just marriage and family life, but also just finding our identity in the, the persons of the Trinity, finding ourselves in relationship to each of the three persons of the Trinity. This is incredible because it's not just theologically sound, but it's also lived. Without further ado, here are Ever and Soren Johnson. Soren and Ever, I am so glad to have you on Called and Caffeinated. Welcome. Thank you. 
You're welcome. It's great to be here with you. Thank you. Now you two own a coffee shop. So um, I have to ask, are you drinking coffee right now? (laughs) Actually, we're at home. So okay. we're, we're just drinking water. <laughs> <laughs> That's if totally- we were at the shop, Thorne would probably be drinking uh, one of our drip coffees. He's kind mm-hmm. of a plain black drip coffee guy. Mm-hmm. We get our drip coffee from a, a local roaster called Loco Beans, as in okay. Loudoun County. Nice. And that's just two blocks away from us. And actually, they're fellow parishioners of, of ours at St. John. Amazing. Oh, I love St. John's. Yeah. Uh, John, yes. Yes. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then what, what's your coffee order typically? Um, I might at this time of day, I might be drinking something decaf. We have mm-hmm. uh, a, some great tea lattes and some special recipes. One of them is called the little flower tea latte. Amazing. Or it's named after St. Therese and it's, um, a flower infusion of lavender, mm. rose, chamomile, and lemon balm. Wow. And it has a little honey and a coconut milk and almond milk in it. So it's super wow. healthy. No caffeine, no dairy. And actually really refreshing iced as well. So mm. most people get it good. hot, but yeah. That sounds amazing. Wow. So you guys get to sample all of the new lattes, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. works at a job. That does sound like a dream job to me. <laughs> so tough. Yeah. <laughs> and don't you have a C.S. Lewis latte as well? Yeah, we do. Oh my gosh. What are some of the, okay. So y- you know that I'm, the name of my podcast is called Encaffeinated. I love coffee and going out for coffee is one of my favorite things in the world. So can you just for like my edification, tell me the names of your lattes that are named after saints or Catholic influencers? Cause I just, I, I want to hear this. <laughs> um, we don't have too many. We do have okay. the little flower uh-huh. and um, we tend to market the CS Lewis and the Tolkien next to each other. <laughs> and we have people sometimes say, you, you can't have a CS Lewis here. He's, he wasn't Catholic. And we say, Oh, this is our, way of saying we're ecumenical and we like a yeah. little Catholic Anglican dialogue next to each other because they were friends. So people get mm-hmm. a kick out of that. That's awesome. But yeah. a lot of our other menu items are named after shrines and, oh. uh, and saints as well. So like we have the, um, Del and Connie, which is a curry chicken salad sandwich. Mm, I had that at your cafe when I came okay. and it was, oh, <laughs> so give me a curry chicken salad and you are, oh my gosh, I'm a happy, happy person. It was delicious. Yeah. Yeah. So Valentani is the largest Marian shrine in India. Okay. Oh, very yeah. cool. Yeah. Wow. So I've had a few Indian customers over the years who really couldn't get over their shock as they saw that name. Wow. Yeah. On the menu and, and said, you, you know, Valentani? <laughs> Mm, mm-hmm. so, yeah that's amazing yeah and and for anyone who is not um aware of your cafe it is a beautiful beautiful old house that's been transformed into this cafe i walked in there like i've been telling people for years like my heaven is going to be like a catholic coffee shop basically and i walked in through the doors and i was like this is it. I could not believe <laughs> the beauty of the artwork That's on your great. walls. Yeah, wow. I love you have beautiful classical Catholic artwork that you just just everywhere, just above the doorways. Um, but at the same time, too, you could go, you could be a non-Catholic and you could just totally go and enjoy a lunch and not feel like we're like slapping you over the head with a Bible or anything. But um, but then you have a, a wonderful selection of books as well that you can pull out and read. And you have a little place for the kids to play in your cafe, which is like 
that is, that's incredible for me because I have my two little toddlers um, and they happily played for an hour. Um, and that's rare to find in a coffee shop. As far as I know, I don't know other ones that have play areas for children. Um, and then you also have culture building events. I'm going to be doing a faith and culture night later this summer. I think August 29th, I'll be performing there and you bring in Catholic musicians and art shows by Catholic artists. So my husband's going to do an art show later in the fall. So Yay. you just, yeah, it's this, it's this amazing little community. And, um, and I just, I'm just so happy that I discovered it. And I feel like if we lived a little bit closer, I would be there every single week. Um, yeah. Was there anything else? that you wanted to add to that description that I left out about Trinity House? Um, we have a pretty ecumenical slant and okay. it's been so interesting for us to see how many of our evangelical and other Protestant denomination brethren come and just feel so at home there. We weren't sure that that was going to happen. So we have a lot of um, different Protestant congregations from around Leesburg who hold Bible studies or staff meetings and Sometimes you you see two Protestant pastors meet each other and they didn't know each other before. And it's just, um, it warms the heart to think of serving the whole body and that they feel so at home there. Yes. Yeah. And that's just to add to that, um, you've already pointed to it, Stacy, but we just felt like, you know, leading with beauty in the public square um, was the way to go. And mm. we're in a home built originally in 1795 it's on the historic registry so you know you mm. you step into this uh, just a place of beauty and and great history yes it also yeah. feels so homey since it was originally a house so it kind of speaks to the core of our ministry for for families making their homes a little taste of heaven and it, it feels like it goes with the mission Yes. Yeah. So um, this loops around to my, my question that I ask all of my guests at the beginning of the podcast, which is what calls have you received from God in your life so far? And what did receiving those calls look and feel like? Well, that's a great question. And uh, <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'll take the first stab at it. Um, awesome. I grew up in a Christian home, um, non-denominational Protestant. And I really do feel that I sense the Lord's call very early in my childhood that um, I wanted to serve him with my whole life. Um, mm. That continued, you know, through my teens and into my twenties. And then I experienced maybe start to talk about the call within the call, <laughs> or the, um, mm -hmm. but as a real call to become Catholic. And that led me on a pretty long kind of five year pilgrimage, uh, which culminated with becoming Catholic, being received into the church. And at, at that same time, a call, a real sense of call to marriage, to be a parent and uh, meeting ever and getting married in 2001. Mm -hmm. So um, those are enormous calls. Uh, and I think, you know, just to kind of round it out, you know, as I moved then into my 30s and 40s, or, you know, mid-40s now, a sense of um, a call to serve the Lord with my gifts, mm. uh, to serve the church um, with writing, with speaking, with encouragement mm -hmm. to families. And I think that's kind of the heart of where I find it now, just a sense of uh, encouraging the body of Christ and mm -hmm doing that with my wife to show um, 
you know, kind of marriage in action, uh, just to, to serve the Lord together as a couple. Yeah. Which is so beautiful and so needed. And I don't think I realized when I got married, how needed it is to have a witness of Catholic marriage to the world, because it really does look different than what the world tells you is uh, what we should be seeking, um, but so important and, um, and just key in everything. Now, when you two met, um, well, first of all, how did you meet? And then as, you, as your relationship grew, did you always want to evangelize together from the outset? Or was that something that kind of grew as, you, as your marriage and your relationship grew? Sure. We met, we had to go to Krakow, Poland to meet. Mm. Uh, <laughs> we met in, in the Jubilee year and I was re- accepted into a three-week program run by the think tank that Ever was working at, Ethics and Public Policy Center on Catholic social teaching in the footsteps of John Paul II and it took place in Krakow. So I met Ever on the first day there mm. and we knew pretty quickly uh, we were made for each other. And we, mm. within literally weeks and months, we were talking about doing ministry together mm. the rest of our mm. life. So you met already, like you were evangelizing basically, or you were forming yourselves to be evangelizers, <laughs> if that makes sense, um, right from the outset. Well, what was the, uh, so I read a little bit um, of the article that you sent me about how, about this, this conference in, in Krakow. What, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Um, so let's see, let me think back. I think initially the program started in, I think it was 1991 mm-hmm. and it's, it was took place in Liechtenstein for a couple of years. And oh, then um, cool. John Paul II invited, it, it had been started by Michael Novak. I don't know if you know who he was, a philosopher economist who he worked at the American Enterprise Institute. Mm-hmm. And um, he had won a Templeton prize for his book on guest capitalism mm-hmm. and um he was very active as sort of a catholic commentator as well a catholic social teaching commentator mm. and he knew john pope too and uh he was friends with george weigel who was my boss wow um, they started way back then and jp2 invited them to come to his home diocese in krakow and they started holding it there mm. in uh, maybe 94 and it's a three-week summer seminar on catholic social teaching and um, I worked for George for 10 years and had, you know, put, uh, went to Poland a lot. And um, the idea for the leaders of the seminar, the professors, was they wanted to form a, a group of young people who would build uh, the culture of life in their respective societies. And they had um, probably about one third uh, North American students and two thirds Central and Eastern European students. Mm-hmm. And um, they just wanted to see what they could do to form these young people to bring about JP2's vision mm. uh, in, in their respective cultures. So Beautiful. Now, I've heard, I've never been to Poland before, but I have heard from people that the Catholic culture in Poland is alive and well, and that on every street corner practically is a Catholic church, and that the 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 faith is just vibrant there. Um, was that, was that its own education for you or, um, was that your experience and, and did that sort of influence how you were formed as you, as you sort of learned about bringing the culture of life to your own, you know, your own area of the world? Definitely. That was our experience. Very Mm -hmm. vibrant Catholicism. Um, we would go to an early mass and find it to be packed on a weekday, you know, 
mm-hmm. with young people and you're just going, where am I? You know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we definitely sensed, you know, it was easy to have a, a, a Catholic immersive experience in Krakow. Mm-hmm. And then when we came back to DC and really saw with kind of fresh eyes, how, cerebral faith can become kind of lots of sets of arguments mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that but it's just part of the whole and so i think that's what led ever and me down a path towards wanting to provide more of an immersive experience and just allow people to see the fullness of the faith enjoy you know the the physicality mm-hmm. of it the mm-hmm. the sacramentality of it mm-hmm. i have the um opportunity over years of doing that program of hearing so many North American students who were very committed to the church and to renewing the faith um, come to this program and end up saying, if we had a context like this to help people Mm. understand the good of Christian community and culture, we would not have to spend so much time in argumentation and giving people encyclicals mm. to read and telling them um, the truth and trying to get them to understand it because they would be in a, in a context that's just very compelling that uh, we, they always said it's a, per, it's a perfect environment here where the program is one-third spiritual activities, one-third intellectual activities, one-third social cultural activities, and it's a whole lifestyle Mm-hmm. And when you live it out, you do, you feel so compelled by it that you don't need to spend a lot of time um, mm-hmm. discussing, you know, how to phrase things to convince people mm-hmm. as you do mm-hmm. in, a, in a very secular culture where everything is um, kind of, th- there isn't any, you know, rich Catholic community and culture to be immersed in. So you're, you're kind of in a cookie cutter type secular environment. And you find that the pursuit of the faith becomes a, a very, it's all based on cognition, which is just mm-hmm. takes away so much of the compelling nature of mm. life with God. I agree. There was a guest of mine on the podcast, Emily Stimson Chapman. She was, I want to say two episodes ago, and she talked about coming to a sacramental worldview was what she called it, which I loved. Um, She was going through an eating disorder and she was just living out these sort of crippling, self-limiting beliefs about her body and how it was not good. Um, And then she just talked about how sort of her, her faith permeated that aspect of her life. And she really started to think about, well, we eat God, you know, what does that mean when we eat God in the Eucharist? And then she said she, she just couldn't think of her body or food or eating as bad anymore. And so now that's become one of the things that she most celebrates. And she has released cookbooks called Around the Catholic Table and sort of taking it from this very, um, like you said, a cerebral concept into living it out in a daily way. Um, and that, that popped into my mind as you were describing, uh, describing out living out a vibrant faith community. So right. beautiful. Yeah. This and I very much my experience of working at the think tank after a while, realizing that there are so few people who will really engage the truth at that level mm-hmm. um, in an academic kind of way and wanting so much to make a a bigger difference for more people and feeling like it was kind of urgent that we do that mm-hmm. and knowing that arguments, books, conferences, seminars are not going to change our culture at the mm-hmm. level that it would have to be changed. It would have to right. reach many, many more people. 
Right. And we are such creatures of habit. Um, I am so fortunate to have been raised in what I affectionately call the Catholic bubble. And so much, I was just talking to a seminarian friend of mine actually about this. Um, We were talking about our vocations and how we kind of underestimate the power of just being surrounded by people who believe what you believe such that you're built up in it. It's, it's an assumed, you know, it's something that that's, um, that's just part of you, the fabric of your, your culture. And he was raised as well in that sort of environment. And he said he went away to college and uh, came back after his first semester to a family party. And I think there was like a hickey on his neck or something. And okay. his cousin, his cousin was like, that's not how we behave in this family. Uh-huh. He just like called him out. And he said that really transformed the way that he thought about it. And so he, he really started thinking about swimming upstream and going against the grain and living differently. Um, and, and, and there is that, that level of, of trans deeper transformation that needs to happen because we go to mass on Sundays, but the purpose of mass is not to form a community. The purpose of mass is to worship. And so how do we supplement, you know, how do we form that community outside of church? And I know this is a huge stumbling block for so many people. It is hard to find that that culture, unless you already have it around you and you already know those people. It's like these little Catholic networks, yes. these little pockets in different areas of the country. Um, yeah. So I love that you are doing that. And your tagline is for Trinity house is a little taste of heaven, um, which I have found to be true stepping through the doors. So, so please tell me about after this conference and uh, the think tank and everything, uh, tell me about how your vision went, um, how, how Trinity house came to be. Well, we, um, it, it's really kind of born of our experience as parents of five children. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a huge part of our journey. And we, we started our nonprofit in 2006 and held um, events for young adult Catholics for a number of years in parishes. And, you know, after doing that for a number of years, we just felt like it was all hidden. We were kind of setting up yet another event in that parish hall and putting the chairs back in the storage room, you know, for the 20th, 30th time. Mm. And ever really had um, a more kind of direct experience of this vision, but of, you know, what would happen if we got out into the public square? Um, Ever grew up in a restaurant family and we started to put the vision in front of this community of, Catholics we knew and other Christians as well and said, you know, how about a cafe in the public square? And it, people really came around it and we opened the doors to Trinity House Cafe in 2014, mm. um, celebrating five years this year. And I think that experience has brought us even closer to a real burden on our hearts for what the family is experiencing today. Mm. Um, we, of course, we have our own experience as parents, uh, but all around us, we see a very impersonal lifestyle mm-hmm. uh, trying to invade the family, um, take away its its richness, its culture, its, its call to m- reflect the Trinity as a communion of persons. Mm. And so I think that's where we're at today. Ever and I are in full-time ministry together with a workshop with um, content which we're producing for parents and families to say, you're not alone here. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're called to reflect the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you can 
find heaven in your home hmm. instead of the home as being just kind of a, a home base or a place to put your stuff or, a, you know, an entertainment center or just, hmm. you know, bricks and mortar. You know, the Lord has really called us to say, you know, that's a domestic church. That's mm-hmm. a tr- that's a Trinity house. That's a house in which you can invite the Lord to dwell in His fullness. So mm. that's that's kind of it in the the big picture. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And then for Trinity House for the cafe, was that an offshoot of the? Um, you said you had the restaurant experience, and so sorry if I missed that part of the story. Did that come before or after the the sort of uh, the idea of empowering families um, in their homes? Uh, that was before. So we started okay. off and we, you know, we were really young when we started this off and had just gotten married and started having kids. Mm. And we were in these networks of young adults uh, in D.C. And the thing at the time was everyone trying to understand what is the new evangelization. We want to respond to the Holy mm. Father's call to do this, but we don't know what to do. Mm. And mm-hmm. so we said, well, let's um, see if we can recreate some of this context that we've been experiencing in Poland of the um, learning Catholic social teaching, but in a very um, rich context. Mm-hmm. And so we did that in, in parishes for years and everyone started sensing like you know we're preaching to a choir we're in a parish we're headed we got to somehow take this out and um so Soren told the story of how we raised money from that group and um they funded us to start doing what we had been doing the parish halls in public at the cafe mm-hmm. and um it at that time, when we first founded the cafe, we thought of it as a, an example of a domestic church mm. in public where a family is serving their neighbors and living out a full um, Christian or Catholic lifestyle mm. and uh, using that, their home as a way of serving others and sharing the faith with others. Um, but we did not put a big focus on that, partly because... Um, Starting the business itself was just so difficult, hmm. and we sort of uh, mi- minimized the the mission of it as just you know bring the faith out in public hmm. and um, showing people the riches of Christian community and culture, and just inspiring them with that vision that your lifestyle can be so much more than this sort of flat, materialistic, cookie cutter lifestyle. Hmm. Yes, so sure. that was how how it started as a more general new evangelization initiative. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I think uh, I like that you started with young adults because that's a time in your life where you've got, <laughs> it's, there's so much change going on. I was part of young adult communities in New York City and then a little bit in DC as well. And um, it's really hard being a young adult and keeping your faith. And yeah. you can have gatherings in parish halls, but something about it just automatically feels a little bit um, just a, like sometimes a little bit sterile, like they're not really made for, uh, you know, it's it, like a winery would be a little bit more of where yes. you'd find like a typical young adult gathering that isn't Catholic. And so I love that you provided that space, just having the right environment and setting up an opportunity for people to meet up. And that's where it happens. You just have to provide that hospitality kind of, um, not that there's anything wrong with churches who have young adult meetings in church halls or anything that's very good and certainly very necessary, but I like that you just took it to the next level um, with that, that kind of a a witness. That's just beautiful. Um, So what, just tell me a little bit more about like what in an ideal world 
would a vibrant Catholic community that you're striving to create? We talked about the daily mass. Um, what does it look like, you know, to have a Trinity house in your home? Like, what, what does that really look like day in and day out? Well, we, you know, I think a lot of times we hear the word Trinity and we think, okay, that's, that's a pretty elevated doctrine, you know, hard mm -hmm. to explain, you know, how does that, how does the Trinity relate to my life? Life. But we, that's really where Ever and I are taking this mission is to ground the family in their Trinitarian identity as made in the image of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Hmm. And we really, um, we think that a family that grasps these, the dynamics that are at work within the Trinity can have a great, you know, head start, if you will, of the you know the challenges that come every day in in family life hmm. and we've really kind of taken um a kind of approach of welcome listen serve and we we look at how kind of the, the heavenly father is welcoming us to the table hmm. you know if you take a, a look at the the kind of famous trinity icon it hangs above a copy of it hangs above the fireplace and the tr at trinity house cafe and we use it within our workshops to show, you know, the Heavenly Father there signified by the angel on the left is, is welcoming us to the table. Hmm. And then on the far right, you can see an angel leaning towards you. And that's understood as the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is accompanying us and listening to us on our journey, hmm. interceding for us. So we talk about welcome, listen, reflecting the Holy Spirit's listening. Mm. What does that look like in the family and marriage? Mm. And then finally, you, what brings us to Jesus at the center of the icon, beneath the tree of life, which is also his cross, and Jesus serves us, and we serve the family. So, mm. rather than being kind of intimidated by this idea that, oh, I don't know what the Trinity has to do with my daily life, we're trying to say, to parents and, and invite them into this uh, just amazing chance to renew your home, to invite the Lord to dwell with you. And we call it a Trinity house because, you know, your home would be, you know, like Joshua said, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mm. And um, that's really the heart of it. And we go into five different levels of the Trinity house within our workshop and try to kind of unpack the different arenas, but that's, that's kind of the heart of it. Yeah. Tell me a little more about the five levels, if you don't mind. Let's see. Back just a little bit to the Trinity doctrine. If you think of what God is doing within his own internal life, you know, we can think of it as interpersonal communion. Yes. And out of interpersonal communion comes all the good things. Um, and for a family to understand that life is about interpersonal communion if you're made in the image of a Trinitarian God, the fact that you're in a family means you should be living as God does, which is in self-giving um, mm. each person fo focusing on the needs of the others, being receptive to the others, giving what mm. they have uh, to fulfill the others' needs. And through the strengthening of family bonding that happens when you welcome each other, when you listen to each other, when you serve each other you can see that the creativity in God that arises from the father and the son, giving them to themselves to each other in this way, that creativity is the Holy spirit. Mm. This can happen in the family where the creativity of the individuals is ignited by mm. the bonding 
that comes about when you're welcoming each other, when you're listening to each other's needs. And so out of that interdependent creativity comes blessings for the family and that and that spill out into the neighborhood and into the community mm-hmm. so it just re you know modeling your family life on the way that god lives amongst the persons but not just modeling it on but actually coming into union with the persons of god mm-hmm. so that the heart of your family and your home is this interpersonal communion that comes out of the heart of god Hmm. And then it kind of flows into all the levels of your your home. So through your faith life, you take that communion that comes out of the heart of the Trinity that you receive in the Eucharist at Mass, and you carry that communion in your faith life in all the different ways that you pursue it in your um, daily prayer time and your family rosary and and so on, your confession, your retreats, etc. And that's the um, kind of foundational first level of the Trinity house is faith mm. life. And then um, what happens when you've got that grace flowing from the heart of the Trinity through the life of the church and the Eucharist, you're, you're accessing the right way of, of living in interpersonal communion and you've got this grace flowing, then you can go to level two, which we call person and relationship. So um, the, the person can be well-formed and healthy and they can, uh, have a healthy marriage and form the children well and the gifts of um, each person in the family can be identified and cultivated so that you can move toward that creativity that you're going to bring about by serving each other. So that's um, level two. So then you've got the grace from level one, you've got the healthy people and relationships from level two. And then in level three household economy, you um, put all that to work to care for each other in, in your basic ways. So in the household mm-hmm. economy, of course, you find all of your um, daily tasks of daily life where you care for each other and, and the family's needs and create kind of a strong um, context for your family to live in. And then um, once you've done that and everyone has um, put their gifts to work to care for the family and take care of business, Then you come to level four, which is family culture. So once everyone has made their contribution to, um, let's say, the center of family culture is when you sit down for that family meal. Hmm. And all the sacrifices are on the table. Of course, this is the domestic church. So it's like the Eucharistic table. Hmm. The Mm -hmm. sacrifices have been made to bring this food that's going to nourish us. And then you can just really start to enjoy the higher parts of life together. And that's a level four family culture where you just mm. enjoy uh, conversation and food and being together and doing music together and art and so on and so mm. forth. Mm-hmm. And um, then, of course, if you've got this um, life of grace, healthy people, a strong context for your family to live out their life in the world and you're enjoying how your gifts have come to fruition, you're going to want to share them in level five, which is hospitality and service. Mm. So the, the family who's living in that kind of interpersonal communion um, will eventually have more to offer that will overflow, you know, from their home and they will be hospitable to their neighbors and serve in their community because mm. God can't be stopped, you know. Mm-hmm. comes out of the heart of his interpersonal communion and they course in theology is called odd extra god goes out from himself in order to share himself and so once you have that all flowing in the right direction you can't stop and and this mm-hmm. is what i think is so countercultural 
for families today because so many people believe that they're too busy Mm -hmm. to host or to do any service in the community and Mm. volunteering is way down because people are not living a life of interpersonal communion. They're living an impersonal lifestyle that's focused on Mm self-interest. Of course, there's nothing extra. Right. Yeah. If if your focus of... Yeah, if your focus of your life is getting your children into the right college, then you're going to start by making sure that they have a, a padded college resume and the perfect grades and all of the extracurriculars. And that's going to be your focus rather than starting with this, you know, that it, it's just a different focus of your life. And yeah, yeah, that's really well, And it can't overflow because it's limited because it's based mm-hmm. on what you have yourself. And it is not drawing from God's own interpersonal communion and when we, when we draw from that, of course, his expansiveness transforms our limitations so that mm. we can be more than we would be without him. So. That's beautiful. Yeah, I love that. I can see a flowchart in my mind of the different levels expanding. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and God's love is never content, like you said, to be self-contained. It has to overflow. A friend of mine was talking about how she... Uh, we were discussing this with my mom's group and she was like, how do I, how do I know whether or not I'm called to have another child? And she's experiencing a little bit of panic right now, feeling like God might be calling her, but she's scared. And she's like, what? And so one of the other moms chimed in and she had the best explanation of feeling a call to have another child that I've ever heard. She said that she had one child and her, she and her husband, you know, were loving this, this little boy. And then she said she felt like she had so much, love that she didn't know where to put it. She didn't know there was, there was so much love going into her child already. And then she said, I just felt there was more love there Mm, to, um, to be shared and to be expanded. And so that, you know, that was their call to have a second child. And, and I thought that was so beautiful, you know, to, to, the the love is, is, is increasing. It doesn't decrease it. You don't give and then you're left with nothing. You, you give it. That's what the world doesn't understand. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And yes, so countercultural. Um, And I love that you point out that, you know, that the, the identity of the Trinity is relationship itself. You can't have just God the Father on his own. You have to have him connected to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and when I think about that, um, I, I, t- I speak and I, and I write and I talk a lot about our identity. Um, and, and this was transformative for me. I went through years of self-image issues and an eating disorder. And so I've really started to come at my faith as I process all of these things and all of these, these, this wounded outlook that I had for many years, and this doesn't have so much to do with the, the family. It's more of an individual identity, but, um, but it, it really relates so beautifully. And I'm just taking this as a call to share it. Um, just my own realizations about our identity as people being Trinitarian. Mm -hmm. So, I started from this, you know, I'm writing my self-image talk. I was invited to give this talk at a number of different uh, conferences and so forth. And so I'm writing my talk and I'm always refining it. And I'm always coming at it from the from the standpoint of, okay, these are the wounds in my past. These are the problems that I know we're dealing with as a society. Perfectionism, self-determination um, as, as your God, you know, being trying to get the hottest body that you can and trying to be the most, you know, the sleekest and the brightest and the best and all of these things. And if you have those things then you have a good life um and i i had those things and the price that i had to pay for them was extremely high and what it meant was that love was conditional and and so i've been working backwards kind of from this this place for many years and what i started to really realize is that our identity who we are as people of course we know that 
love for us is, is unconditional. We have God's unconditional love, but forming a relationship with each person of the Trinity and finding your identity in each of those people. Um, and that has been such an amazing discovery for me. So with God, the father, we are the Imago Dei, we are the image of God and he is our father and becoming a parent for me has been an amazingly transformative experience of understanding how God looks at each of us. I don't look at my children and say, you know, when they were tiny newborns, I wasn't looking at them and saying, oh, their little faces are all red from, you know, um, from delivery and their little noses are kind of squished up and they can't even uh-huh. put their heads up. I'm not looking at them as the, you know, as their, their inadequacies, nor am I comparing right. them to anyone else's child. It's that unconditional love is, is perfect. And, you uh-huh. know, and I, I knew when when they were born, there was going to be a little part of my heart walking around outside my body for the rest of my life. And that's the love of a parent and, and understanding that I am, I find who I am in my relationship with God, my father. And then with our relationship with God, the son, Christ, we are his beloved. Um, and I discovered this when I was discerning religious life and thinking about being a nun. And of course you hear nuns talk about how they are the bride of Christ. And you're like, what does that mean? (laughs) Um, and so understanding that, you know, every time you walk down the aisle to receive communion, Christ is looking at you the way that a bridegroom looks at his bride walking down the aisle towards him. There is that love available to each of us. And certainly we see in each of the Eucharistic miracles that have taken place, you know, the, the, where the, the consecrated host is transformed into body and blood, like real living tissue. Um, They examine it and they always find that it's from, it's living heart tissue. Mm. And it's from someone, the DNA matches, uh, which is incredible in these different Eucharistic miracles. Um, and the DNA all matches each other. So, they're all from the same person. And each time it's a, it's a piece of living heart tissue. And the owner of the heart was suffering, um, suffering severely and had been beaten. And the, the tissue was under, under stress, like the, the heart was under stress. Um, and, you know, that's Christ pouring, that's, that's the lover pouring himself out for the beloved. Um, and choosing us constantly, you know, uh, in, in every communion, in every mass. Um, and so, understanding that we are beloved of Christ. And then, I know I'm talking a lot here. I just... No, no it's so beautiful. I mean, thank you. I just feel called to share this because I wasn't even intending for this to be an episode about the Trinity, but I feel like this is really, really good. <laughs> um, and then, understanding our relationship with the Holy Spirit, um, giving ourselves as gift. So the father is continually pouring himself out to the son and the son to the father. And the relationship between them is, uh, is their, their gift to one another. And that is where the Holy spirit comes from. Um, and I, I find, you know, that the Holy spirit is, um, it's that level, like you were talking about of not being self-contained, but of pouring yourself out. And certainly I, I think it was, I think it was Pope Francis's recent uh, exhortation on vocations. I'll have to look up exactly where I found it. Um, but I think it was after this, one of the synods last year or the, um, yeah, it was the meeting in Ireland. Um, do you remember what that one was called? It's for young not people. Offhand. No. Okay, I can't remember. Yeah, it was on vocation. Anyway, he he said, um, you know, the, that we find ourselves when we give ourselves away. It's mm-hmm. the it's the mystery of in giving yep. yourself you find yourself, and I've certainly found that to be true in pursuing my vocation. You know, the more I pour myself out into my marriage, my my husband, my family the more I actually find who I am supposed to be. Um, and, and that is, again, that is, that is our identity. That is, that is at our core. So when you're talking about living a life of self-determination, 
there's mm-hmm. certainly the, or a life of um, what was the word you used? Self-interest. Uh, oh, sorry, what's that? Self-interest, really. Self-interest, yeah. right. So you pursue what you're interested in and what you need rather than what mm-hmm. other people are telling you what about what they need from you. Yes, yes. Very uh, many you know, people in our culture struggle with the sense that your child is looking at you, asking you for whatever you have, they want it and, and they, they need it in some way to grow and to know your love for them. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of looking at them going, no, this is mine. Why do you want everything that I have? And, and everything about our culture tells us that you're supposed to pursue what you want, what you yes. need, and keep the things that you have for yourself and for your own development. So mm-hmm. it's really hard to be a parent in our culture when you can, when you see that yes. child wants everything that you have, you grapple with giving yourself away, and yes. then you find out what you're saying, which is when you do it, your identity becomes yeah. fulfilled in a way that you never expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. And it's, and that's where it's, I speak a lot on vocation as well. I discerned religious life and I witnessed in a public way on this reality television show. And so I had hundreds of people reaching out to me saying, you know, how do you know what you're supposed to do? How do you hear God's voice? How am I supposed to find my vocation? And, and I realized there was a lot of confusion that often we treat our vocation, um, not as our gift to the world, but as how is God going to make me happy by giving me the the career that I want, by giving me the answer (laughs) that I want, by allowing me to sort of climb the ladders that I want to. And then of course it becomes a battle of the will where you're like, well, what if God wants me to do something I don't want to do? And I know this from personal experience, I would just not even listen for an answer. I wouldn't even ask the question because I was too scared that God's will was going to be something that I was going to hate. And so much of this podcast, we talk about that, you know, it comes up over and over again of, you know, is God's will the thing you hate? And, uh, (laughs) and it's one of those things where you have to start with surrender. You have to start with gift and just like the father and the son, and, you know, they, they pour out their love to each other and they're continually giving themselves fully. I've experienced this in my marriage and family as well. It's, it's, there's a life that can come from that. And a, there's a a fertile love that comes Mm -hmm. from that, which is, um, you know, when, when you, when you just give yourself fully and when it's mutual, um, you don't lose anything in giving yourself, you only gain, um, Mm -hmm. which is a beautiful reality. So I, I love that this is coming up and, and I know, I mentioned that my sort of realization of this Trinitarian identity is uh, I I came at it from a very non-theological, from just a purely sort of practical, experiential point of view. But then um, my same seminarian friend I mentioned earlier, I was like, can I check this with you theologically? Because he was telling me about, he's taking a class on the Trinity. So uh, I said, you know, what does Augustine say about this? Because he's reading, Augustine wrote 15 books on the Trinity. And he was like, yeah, no, you you nailed it. There's nothing, nothing theologically unsound in that, in that. And I was like, okay, fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. And I've just never heard that articulated in that way before about, you know, who we are as people is, is a reflection of the Trinity and, um, and our very identity. Um, yeah, which is, which is very, it's just so misunderstood and so not, not lived out in our wider culture. Mm -hmm. So, right. Yeah. And, and it's interesting how you have chosen, you want to witness this to the world and share it. And I love that you've chosen to do this in a local way, starting a coffee shop. Um, I've noticed, I've spoken to a lot of people who write books or who start something, um, like a national movement or something online. 
But I love that in your desire to share this in a very lived out experiential way, you start you started locally. And, and I think that's um, underestimated the power of local action. So, um, yeah. So how did you um, what what effects have you noticed in the community from from Trinity House? And then how does that in turn this local initiative sort of extend beyond Leesburg, Virginia? Right. Um, well, I would go back to what you said about you chose um, to start with a local initiative. Mm. Um, God really chose it, and he made it really clear that he wanted it to be on the ground. Mm. Um, but it, it did It happen in some way after 10 years of working at a think tank, probably actually after about five years, I thought I, I got to do something with real people. I can't be, you know, in a completely academic context and and even when we were in parishes, feeling like, I can't breathe, everyone here is just like me, got to get out on the street where where people are different. And I feel like God called us to be in a place with real people, and he wanted the heart of the ministry to be about serving people's bodily needs. Mm. Um, because so much of what's diseased in our culture is the impersonal lifestyle that takes us away from our embodiment and our rootedness and creation and our mm. sense of dependence on God's provision and on people actually mm. serving what we need in the moment day to day. So, you know, so much of the isolation and alienation that people are experiencing in our culture today has to do with um, living out so much of their lives behind a screen by themselves. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, God wanted, you know, to bring the antidote to the fore, which is face-to-face interaction mm-hmm. where you hand someone a cup of coffee or a sandwich that they need for their body to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and how deeply um, interconnected people feel to someone who made food for them that was actually um, sustaining them in such a basic way. And I, I think so much of what's wrong with the impersonal lifestyles that people are living out now is um, just a strange sense that you either are going to take care of yourself and your own basic needs, or you're going to pay someone to do it for you. And there's not a lot of in between where people are face to face taking care of each other. And, and that's why I thought your, your example about the um, post where you, you posted the pictures or the video of your husband washing your feet. Mm. And so many people responded to that because there's nothing symbolic about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is, and there isn't in the, in the act is the answer. It's, it's about people actually taking the time to take care of each other in real life. Mm -hmm. Yes. And people are yearning for the touch of another person Mm. or another person to make something for them that actually takes care of their immediate primal needs. And Mm -hmm. we feel so disconnected from, um, from our own bodies because so much of our lives are lived too quickly and too distant from our bodies. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, the, the bricks and mortar was just um, God's way of saying, slow everything down and mm-hmm. get back um, to people's basic needs. And mm-hmm. you can do so much just by looking someone in the eyes and, and welcoming them. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I could share maybe just a little bit about the effects. We've seen a couple people have told us they came back to the church after spending time at Trinity House. Um, we've, we hear so many just mm-hmm. beautiful stories about how people say they're blessed by their time there. Mm. They feel peace. They feel rest and renewal. Um, somebody said to us the other day, I go to Trinity House for all my most important conversations. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, we, we take joy in, the, in knowing that a lot of friendships have begun at Trinity House or, mm-hmm. or been deepened. So it's just a lot of first dates. Uh, yeah, so many, so many great stories. Like, wow, yeah, take take the girl to Trinity House, and if she likes it, you know you got something good going. <laughs> there we go. That's right, all Catholic men listening. <laughs> That's beautiful. Uh, thank you for saying all of that. Ever, um, there's, I actually feel like that ministered to me in this this little moment where I am because it's so easy to look at your Instagram following or the number of speaking engagements you're booking or whatever, whatever it is that you want to do, even as a ministry, you know, like I'm, I'm a minister and I love ministering, but it's so easy to just look at the numbers yes, and, and get caught up in that. And it's about those little moments of personal transformation. And like you said, just taking care of people. And it's more important to get those deep relationships, right. To get those, those, you know, to, to deeply invest in those personal relationships. And Jesus only had 12, you know, really close friends that he took camping essentially for three years um, <laughs> during his public ministry. He didn't have, like, he doesn't, he doesn't think in, in numbers. Um, right. And my, my husband was sharing this really beautiful passage from a book that he was reading last night. It's the diary of Elizabeth Kindleman. Have you ever heard of her? No. She was, I don't know if she was Hungarian Ukrainian, something. She was a mystic and she used to have conversations with Jesus all of the time. And he talked about, uh, or there's this one passage my husband was reading where Jesus was asking her to, to do a, a penance or a fast. And he said it would save um, thousands of souls. And she said, oh, how, how many souls, you know, would, would it be this many thousand or this many thousand? And, um, and, and Jesus said, um, he said, no, more than, more than human numbers could ever say that's mm-hmm. how many it will save and my husband was actually a little bit confused by this he was like wait we have the number infinite in our vocabulary why wouldn't jesus just say infinite mm-hmm. and and we talked about it and i don't know if this is entirely correct but i i have a, a suspicion that it was because G- jesus wasn't really thinking in terms of of numbers jesus was thinking in terms of what is one soul to me priceless mm-hmm. true yes. true and so that's true yeah, and, and and that is um, that comes back to the dignity and the worth of the individual, which again in this impersonal society has it, you lose that 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 personal connection um, over and over again if you're not careful. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was beautiful just to remember like God's not thinking in terms of numbers in any capacity. He's not thinking in terms of the statistics of who's yeah. saved. Each one of us to Him is priceless. Um, right, just so beautiful. Um, and it must be so fun to to, ha- to hear those stories of you know those first dates and the the people who convert. Awesome. Definitely, it's oh. awesome. It must be beautiful. And really just being in the moment. I mean, it is fun to hear the effects, but the best thing is being in the moment at the cafe, helping people and just experiencing a context that's very humane. Mm-hmm. That is the right pace for a human life that is bringing people into contact with each other and they're serving each other and listening to each other. And you feel mm-hmm. so healthy. Mm, yes. 
Yes. You feel like it's taking place at a rate that you can process and that basic needs are being met. People are smiling at each other. Mm. You're you're fulfilling, you know, people's emotional and psychological needs. And it's Mm. just, it's, I think it's a scale issue. I mean, the beauty of the environment is good, but there's a scale and a slowness to it that uh, makes you feel very joyful in the moment. Yeah. And helps you feel seen and heard. Yes. yes. I think, I think that's the beauty of a coffee date is you share your heart mm-hmm. and that other person is there to hear you and to yes. see you. And then they're there also to share their heart and you get to mutually hear each other and see a deeper part of each other. And it, it fulfills this deep desire to be known, to be seen right. and, and known. Right. And like you said, it feels very healthy. Like I think this is where my whole podcast came from was me as a young mom, like trying to wrangle my children and missing having those long heart to heart talks. And so oh, I was like, well, yeah. I've got to find a way to do this. So here right. we are doing it virtually, not right. looking in each other's eyes, but still having that sharing and that communion yes. and that. Definitely. That conversation. It's so beautiful and so good. Yeah, you're right. And then when you get a good latte in there, it's just. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, through the roof. Oh, yeah. Um, so there you both have a very diverse background and you've got your you author um, articles and you speak and you have a lot of work experience and certainly a lot of formation. Um, I believe you both have master's degrees in theology or something associated with that. Is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you've got all this education behind you and, um, and background and now your parents and you own this, you know, this beautiful cafe. And I often find in my callings that when God calls me to something, he doesn't waste anything. There's seasons of life where I have to let go of certain things and seasons of life where, you know, things will go out of my life for a time. But certainly with my speaking, I get to sing and I get to bring in my, my acting skills and so forth. And that, that's not wasted. That's used even in the midst of my motherhood. So, um, you know, how, how does God, if you have anything to share about how God has used this diverse background that you have and bringing it into um, to your life with your children and in Trinity House? Oh, thanks. And the, like you said, God doesn't waste anything. And um, it's been just amazing to see as the cafe has taken off and then now our workshops and other things, how elements of your own background come to the fore. I think one that just kind of jumped to my mind was uh, growing up and seeing um, um, just a beautiful witness of hospitality. Um, I, I grew up next door to my grandmother, who was widowed at an early age um, in her late 50s. And she just opened her home um, to a series of, there was always somebody there, whether it was a refugee family, or um, she got certified in um, um, uh, adoption, crisis pregnancy counseling. So she had young women um, move in with her and bring their babies to term. I bring that up only just as an example of you know, seeing hospitality in action, that open doors, that service, that comes back to us on a regular basis, you know, as we think of, okay, here we are opening the doors to the cafe another day. um, And who's the Lord going to send today? Um, You know, you can, you can go back to your own family history. And Mm. that's one, one area. Mm. Yeah, that's very beautiful. Yeah. Uh, did you want to add anything ever or uh, um, just second that? It's been fascinating for me to, when I was younger, I used to wonder how, why I had so many varied experiences. And now it's clear to me 
But um, early on, so I'm from a large Catholic family, and my mom is very artistic and domestic, and and family was a big um, component of my childhood, and I always loved just the idea of creating a context that pe- that would make people happy, mm. make, make them feel comfortable. So I, I thought for a while of becoming an interior decorator and I have always been obsessed with um, like mm. home decorating magazines and mm. cooking and all of the home arts and then wondered because I had a clear kind of more like professional or academic track of um, politics and culture and international relations and then theology mm. and thinking like, what is my obsession with home and family and beauty, beautiful mm. context and nourishing people have mm-hmm. to do with international relations, you know? So it's funny looking back like, Oh, and, and I think when people, I don't know if this is true. You probably know more about this than I do, but I always wonder if people's like, deepest rooted loves and charisms and times when they really sense their most joy like for me in creating um home life context that would make people feel happy and nourished do they look back and then discern you know some form of call not necessarily work like a job that you make money at but Mm. Does God take something that's so deeply rooted in your childhood and does that become kind of the heart of who you are? It's mm-hmm. definitely the case for me, but mm-hmm. I yeah. think, you know, maybe yeah. with yeah. your different people that you've talked to, have you seen mm. that? Yeah. So, so you're asking, um, does God sort of take something that's all the way back from your childhood and sort of that, that becomes your, you know, your identity or your charism or your gift or whatever, um, more so than than a job. Is that which just make sure I'm I'm clear on the question. I just wonder if people think like something that they loved so much in their childhood eventually gets worked into their their mm. calling in a really yes. central way. Yes. Yeah, I, I absolutely see that. Yeah. Yeah, that there's I gosh, I just find like we're such a mystery to ourselves, right? And yeah, um, exactly. And and I think back to like all my phases in childhood. You know, I wanted to be um a nun when I was twelve and I wanted to be a mother at the same time. And then I just had all these interests. I was always like running around in the mud in Virginia, like creating these little um, civilizations in the mud out of sticks and rocks and things. And then, um, and then I was very into the domestic arts as well. And just fun little like writing notes to people and creating little cards. I had a little card making business and then I would sculpt dolls. And for a while I had a little side business doing that for my actor friends. Um, I would sculpt lifelike dolls of them playing their different characters on stage and sell them to them. And, um, so I had like all of these crazy, I've heard the term multi-passionate entrepreneur um, <laughs> that describes it. And of course I love to sing and dance and, you know, there's the whole theater side of me as well. Um, but then there's also a very like quiet side that just loves to just be in a room all day making crafts. And, um, and so I, it is amazing how God does pull those, all of those things. They're all being used expressions of who you are and all the different aspects that just come out that you you can't really predict when you look at the life of a nun or look at the life of a married person and say, well, it has to be this way once I enter into my vocation. Um, Because yeah, God isn't that one dimensional and he's going to use your gifts because he made you. So it's, it's more, yeah, it's more embracing that 
surrender upfront to whatever he wants. And then he will give it back to you as a gift mm-hmm. is what I find. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's where my tagline has become God's adventure awaits mm. nice. because yeah. Cause I want, I, nobody, like you said, we're told to embrace our dreams, which I was always told to do. Um, but I just never thought to ask God, you know, what do you want for my life as the starting point? And so I've found time and time again, kind of like what you shared, you know, you embrace God's adventure and then there's these parts of yourself that you've always loved, things you've loved to do and you find ways to do them and find ways, they just come out of who you are. Um, and, and, and that's, that's no matter what vocation you enter into and no matter how fully you give yourself, you're still able to do the things that you love, you know, as, as long as you start with that surrender and, and let God show you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. This is such a life-giving, beautiful conversation. I don't even know what this episode is going to be titled because there's so much that we talked about. <laughs> um, but so, thank you for all of the work that you're doing. You guys are amazing. And I cannot wait to come back to Trinity House Cafe. Anyone in Virginia or the Arlington Diocese or or Maryland, or West Virginia, <laughs> or Pennsylvania, <laughs> surrounding states, Delaware, why not? Come come to Trinity House Cafe, um, and it's, it's so beautiful. You'll be glad you went. Thank you for all the work you do. It's been wonderful chatting with you, so God bless you. Thank you, you Stacey. Stacey. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know about you, but that just makes me want to live my life differently. That was such an amazing conversation. You can find everything that we talked about in the show notes. You can also head on over and subscribe to stacysummerow.com, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, to keep up to date on things that I don't share anywhere else. And for the first look at subscribing for the God's Adventure Awaits Summit, which is coming up in late July. If you have 10 seconds you're wondering what to do with, it would make my day if you could come on over and leave an iTunes rating and review. It really does help the show get seen by more eyes. So thank you so much. May God bless you. And I'll see you back here soon on Called and Caffeinated.